Hey, creative, if you love the show and it has meant a lot to you, could you do me a favor? Would you share it with somebody that you care about? Your friend, your mom, your lover, whoever it is, because podcasts really are spread person to person. And I don't know about you, but the ultimate influencers in my life are my friends and family. So if all of you could share the podcast with just one person, it would make a massive difference in our creative community, grow it, and we can all help support and lift each other up and get toward our dreams even faster. So please, if you have time today and you feel so compelled, share the show with a friend. Oh, also, if you have time, feel free to like pop on over to Apple and leave it a rating and review and a rating on Spotify. Okay. Love you. Do you ever feel disconnected from yourself? When was the last time you truly tuned into your body instead of always deferring to your mind? So many of us walk around as floating heads, but your body signals can tell you a very important story about your life. Your body has a wisdom of its own. From today's guest, you'll gain eye-opening tips on how to hear your body's signals, what those signals may be trying to tell you, and how you can start to use writing and creativity to help yourself heal. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, and multi-passionate creative. And this show is meant to give you tools to love, trust, and know yourself enough to claim your right to creativity and pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. Before I get into it, I want to let you know that Unleash is being considered to be nominated for a People's Choice Podcast Award. You can go vote for Unleash right now at podcastawards.com. I'll also put the link in our show notes. It helps so much as an indie podcaster. Every vote counts. So if you love the show, please go ahead and vote for it. Okay, now to the guest. Her name is Lisa Weinert. She's an author and writer, keynote speaker, teacher, literary consultant, and a certified yoga teacher with specialties in trauma-informed and restorative yoga. Lisa's worked with authors for over two decades as a publicist, editor, and literary coach before she went into writing her own book. Her new book, Narrative Healing, just came out yesterday and focuses on uncovering the healing power of your story, expressing your authentic voice, finding the connection between your body's signals and creativity, and much more. I wanted to have Lisa on the show because she found her way to unleashing her inner creative by finally listening to her body after a long period of intentional deafness to her body's cries. Her book shares her story of awakening to her body's wisdom and takes you through how she healed with creativity and how you too can connect and grow as a creative through writing, movement, and healing. From today's chat, you'll learn how to recognize your body's signals, how to see your body as something to value and cherish, how to do narrative healing, the power of releasing your deepest stories, and much more. Okay, now here she is, Lisa Weinert. Okay, Lisa, I'm so excited to talk with you. This is right on brand for everything the show is about because I really take a holistic approach to creativity as I know you do too. And I'm just so honored to have you here. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Thank you so much for having me. I was very excited when I received the invitation. I knew a little bit about you. And then I started listening to sort of like hopping around. And every single episode I listened to was just like such a like, yes, 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 yes. So I'm really, I'm just honored to be here. One of the things I want to just reflect back as I'm just in the throes of things right now is how much joy you emanate in your podcast. And it's really infectious. And it's just put me like in a good mood. So I appreciate what you're doing. 
That makes me so happy. Well, thank you for seeing me. I'm grateful. And I know it's one of your expertise areas. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I really, really appreciate that. And your book, Narrative Healing, Awaken the Power of Your Story is so incredible. And it's such an incredible resource. And it really starts out with you sharing the story of how you became aware of your body's own intelligence. And I wonder if you would share that with our listeners. Oh, thank you so much. That really means a lot to hear. You know what? I really think there's a couple moments where this work really began, but I think what you're referring to was a wake up call I had about, at this point, it's about 10 years ago. You know, just to like backtrack a little bit, I'm a born and raised New Yorker. I'm one of five. My mom's a writer. There's a long line of like storytellers in my family. And I grew up in a very kind of like intellectual and artistically curious and intense family environment and naturally pursued a career in publishing. And I was in publishing for decades. And I was very fortunate where I landed and got to work with incredible authors. And I really walked around the earth, I think as kind of like a know-it-all in sort of my 20s and early 30s, a feeling of like, I know all about powerful voices and I know how to do this. And I I just had a lot of, I'd say like gravitas and a lot of loudness in my head. And at the same time, I had just always been a seeker and a mover. It was just a very natural part of me from a very early age. I had a strong sense of like something else was present, something else was listening. But I kept it really separate. This sense of like creativity and writing was something that lived in the skull. And Mm. then you took your body places. Like body, let's go do yoga. Body, let's go do this. And then if you're bothering me, body, like shut up, that kind of thing. And it was working pretty well. And I think that's an attitude that's really supported by our culture. Like I didn't make that up. I'm not alone in that. And about 10 years ago, I had an acute medical scare in the form of what turned out to be a false cancer diagnosis, but I didn't know it was a false diagnosis, obviously, at first. And I always say this, you know, that just was the line in the sand, but I could have had a line in the sand at many other points, I think, earlier. But for whatever reason, it was that moment that I really was aware as sort of doctors were talking to me and there was a sense of tremendous urgency around my health story that all of my storytelling skills, like every single pitch letter I'd written, press release, editorial development, all of those things totally went out the window when a doctor came into the room in that setting where I was really, really afraid. And I could not summon my authentic voice and I couldn't even find it. And I became kind of like good girl journalist part of me that wanted to take notes and get it right and let's sort of figure this out. I'm very fortunate that it was a false diagnosis. But as I recovered from it, I really started wrestling with the fact that I had no access to my body and that the stories I was thought I was really good at like really didn't matter if I couldn't access my voice when I really needed it to. And of course, that applies to a lot of other situations as well. How did you start to hear your own voice after that experience? Well, it's interesting in a way as like such a verbal person coming from a publishing background that I lost my voice. I literally lost my voice. I had throat surgery and it's not even a common thing. I know other people that went through a similar experience, but I think the universe was being very, very loud, like shut up. I heard the other day that the sort of saying that we have like two ears and one mouth for one reason, we're supposed to listen twice as much as we talk. And I think I was like talking way too much. And there was a voice 
that told me to be quiet. You know, all I really knew at that point in my journey was that it had been very consistent for me that yoga made me feel better and also that writing made me feel better. I was taking a lot of painkillers and recovering from surgery, and I was just in a kind of phase, a a very hazy world for quite some time. I think I was sort of asleep for eight to 10 hours a day. And as I woke up, I started returning to familiar movements. And I really couldn't do very much. But in retrospect, I think I could do more than I thought I could do. I was very frozen. I was in a lot of fear. But it literally started by figuring out ways to do little like yoga poses, like child's pose or cobra pose or very gentle down dogs, but starting to find familiar poses that had brought me comfort in the past and find a way towards them again. And when did this idea that, okay, there's something going on here in my body really start bubbling to the surface? Because, you know, it's like, yes, you can do the yoga poses and obviously those feel good. But when does this knowing that there's this deep connection here and it needs to be explored really come out? Well, it really came out there because I felt like I was screaming, but I couldn't make any sounds. And so it was the only way I could communicate. And I started to literally communicate that way. But in terms of how I integrated that intellectually and understood what was happening, happened in my yoga teacher trainings. It was during that time that I sort of like pulled out my, in a way, I didn't call it that at the time, like a bucket list. Like what are the things that I didn't think I was allowed to do in this life because they were too X, Y, or Z. And becoming a yoga teacher was really top on the list. And I signed up and started doing a number of yoga teacher trainings when I was just a couple months out from surgery. And the first time that it was like all the bells went off and it was like the windows open, the lights went off when I heard Jillian Pransky. She's an amazing yoga teacher. She wrote a book called Deep Listening. Her focus is really listening. But in my world, I was interpreting it as storytelling, how we're unable to listen. We're in a state of fight, fight or freeze and how we have to be in a state of rest and restore in order to truly take in the information that we need from ourselves and others. And for me at that time, I remember very clearly sitting in the yoga room, like just exhausted and hungry, like, how am I doing this? And it was like I had a totally new perspective on every single experience I'd ever had around listening and writing and working with others when I started to understand our stories were a connection to our nervous system. I started to understand that our body is telling us stories all day long, but not necessarily using English or Spanish or whatever. Our bodies tell stories in the form of like tension or relaxation or desire or instinct and that kind of thing. So for someone who's listening, I've been talking about this a lot on the show in little ways, not coming in this hard. And talking about like the body's intelligence and how we can go to it for answers. But for someone who's listening and they're like, what? Huh? I'm confused. What is an example, even of something small, of a story that our body is telling us? Like if we are having, for instance, I have tension in my shoulder right now. Like what could be that story? How do I start to ask the body what story it's trying to tell me through that tension? Well, in terms of like going hard quickly, I don't think it's important to totally decipher it immediately. It's more about acknowledging. So I think for somebody that's listening or someone that I'm working with, or when I do these kinds of programs in lots of different settings, I think the very first step is to admit you have a body. Oh, 
so hard. It can feel icky, Lisa. And I don't know why that is. Like sometimes, you know, I've been (laughs) either between this podcast or like ones I produce. Every time embodiment comes up, I get this really scared. And I think you described it in your book once, too, when you started to really be with yourself. But when I start to sink into my body and think about the fact that I have a body, I just want to float out of it and just hover above it. It scares the shit out of me. Why? What is happening there? That's such a beautiful reflection. I don't know what's happening with you. You'll have to tell us. But what I can say is developing a relationship with our body is a great challenge in our culture because we're taught from a very early age and continue to be, that lesson is reinforced all the time that our mind and bodies are separate. And especially in like intellectual kind of environments or a capitalist culture. And I think a lot, and ironically, in very creative cultures as well, we really look down on the body. We think that the thinking happens in the mind, like everything that's important happens between our two ears or between our skull and our chin. That's where ideas come from. That's where inspiration comes from. And so it's very foreign to admit or acknowledge that our minds and our bodies are connected or that there's worth in our body. I think that's a very big ask to think of our body as something that's precious or worthwhile or something to value. And I don't know if that's a good place to start even because there's so much unlearning that has to happen before then. But for this purpose, in terms of a simple way, I think it's more some of the colloquial terms we use. Like I got a pit in my stomach when I heard that. Or when you see someone surprised, like your eyebrows go up or that was a pain in my neck or I have a pain in my back. All of those sorts of things are ways the body's talking to you that's like, hey, that didn't feel good or I don't like that. And I think I would equate it more to like if you have a meal somewhere and you have a stomach ache afterwards or something like that, you may not know the precise ingredient because you don't need to make it, but you know that had an impact on it. Information and stories of all sorts affect our bodies and we can start to notice that and to pay attention to the signals we're getting. So you say that you want people to start listening to their body when it whispers as opposed to when it's screaming. What are some things we can do to start to listen to the whispers? Like what could the whispers sound or feel like? The first step is to start to pay attention. So I think step one is I have a body. And that's a really, really big deal. Like walking through your day when you're driving or walking around or in the middle of something to say like, I have a body. That's a big ask. And I want to pay attention to my body because my body has important information to me relating to my health, my creativity, my spirituality, all the things like your body's holding a lot of information. And the second part in terms of listening, I think of it more about having like an open curiosity about what's being said rather than looking for something. I think we can almost get into trouble if we're looking for a particular piece of information. We won't discover anything. There's a lot of awareness practices and somatic practices, meaning like physical movement or breath practices or meditation practices that can increase our sensitivity to these messages. And in the book, I walk through how a writing practice can help pick that up. It's not like a quick fix or there's a right answer or a wrong answer. It's more about looking for cues from your body to really enrich your experience, increase your joy and creativity. And on the other side, you're more aware of any warning signs that are coming up. Like in my case, not having like any idea that there was anything going on with me until I had like multiple doctors screaming at me with like urgency. And it wasn't my 
fault, but it, I was just so detached from my embodied experience at that time. I'm curious, too, because, I mean, it's interesting that the whole time, and I relate to you because, you know, I produce other people outside of my own show. So it's like, it's a very specific and beautiful skill to be able to support someone else to tell their story. But also, sometimes there's a way we can hide in that. At least I've noticed in my own life, sometimes it gets me off the hook from ever having to tell my own. Like, if I can see someone else, that's a great skill. That's a valuable skill. I don't always know that I'll be valued for just who I am. Yeah, I'm just curious how that piece could have been entwined in it since this whole thing is about you telling your story and like coming into yourself and being in your body. Like, how does that intersect with what you were doing in the publishing world? That's a really, really interesting question. I haven't thought about it so much as in my job role, but I think in general, growing up around like huge personalities in New York City and like capitalist America and all the various forces and dominant culture of stories that are told. I'm a very sensitive individual, really empathic. And I think it's a really effective survival skill to reflect back what you see because that distances you from people. And I think that's in certain ways, like the fawn response, when you look at how the nervous system responds to a threat or in danger, we, there's four different responses the nervous system can go into, fight or flight, rest and restore, freeze or fawn. And fawn is a form of false flattery or conforming to meet the environment, which is maybe a job description of a book publicist in some ways. So I think that I really see what you're saying. And I think what that meant for me is that it really impacted my writing. All of my writing was written to not only please other people and like manipulate a response, but totally coming from like a very tinny place of broadcasting to many people as opposed to like one person, which is very different than like a healing practice of storytelling where you really connect with someone and feel heard and seen. So I think it was a truly learned skill that then was rewarded. Yeah. And it's hard because it does feel good to see people and to reflect back to them. I mean, it's like one of the gifts of life. I relate. I've had a lot of vocal issues. I've had a lot of like gut issues. I've had a lot of issues with my female reproductive system. And it all feels kind of attached to this place of being afraid to take up space and use my full voice. I just had a curiosity around that with you. Something I can say that like a first step of my healing when I started writing, it was one of the first pieces I wrote aside from like, you know, illegible journal entries. I struggled with finding a way to think about what had happened because I had, you know, emergency major surgery and just went through a very big scare that really traumatized my family. And I felt very responsible for it. And I found this prompt online to write a letter to my body and to write a letter to my organ. My thyroid had been removed, write a letter to my thyroid. And it was a really interesting experience because I saw it and like my judgment came out immediately. I had this sort of emotional connection and relationship. And I think it was one of the first times that I felt that way about my body. And it became, I think, a basis of what these prompts and a lot of them are about. But the consequences are really drastic when we don't listen to ourselves and acknowledge our own stories. And that was definitely the case for me and is something I you know work with all the time. And maybe this converges with what narrative therapy and narrative healing is. But like, how did you go from, okay, I'm starting to have these revelations. I'm working through the body. I'm doing this yoga teacher training and I'm writing to teaching this and discovering this methodology. 
it began by supporting others 100%. This whole thing is the first time in my life I did not go into something wanting to like have professionalize it or be some kind of like best at or, or rise the ranks or whatever it was. This was my yoga teacher training final project. I was just fascinated by it and wanted to explore it. And following that, I've just made a commitment to myself to learn and find people that seem to really understand this and get close to them and support them. So it really began by assisting Jillian Pransky in a number of her programs and other teachers' programs. And I was so feverish. I was just like frothing at the mouth about the topic of like narrative healing and narrative medicine because it just validated everything I'd known in my body my whole life as I, you know, I think for you as well, that writing is actual medicine. It has actual clinical empirical evidence that it works as medicine in your body, as does yoga. And it just felt like eureka, like, thank God I understand that this works. And I was assisting others and talking feverishly and basically others overheard me. I started getting opportunities and that happened to me first at Kripalu and then at the Rubin Museum and at Wesleyan University. And I made a commitment to myself very early on if other writing or like publishing opportunities came my way, I would only do it if I could also incorporate an embodiment piece or a mindfulness piece. It didn't seem worthwhile or helpful to only work from that kind of like business perspective anymore. So it happened mm. slowly, but it really came from a student and assistant perspective. That's beautiful. And what is narrative healing? Can you define it for someone listening? Narrative healing is a mind-body writing program designed to awaken the healing power of your stories and help you connect with the world around you. So what it is literally is a writing program that incorporates somatic practices and mindfulness-based meditation with creative writing prompts and opportunities to share work. And the purpose of narrative healing is to support you where you are. So it's not like a program that goes from A to Z. It's more like a cyclical path. So you can hop in and do one part of it and stay there or work around it. It's a fluid and supportive experience. Yeah. And what I love about it is you start each section of the book with a story that is based in your life. And then you bring all these prompts and offerings. And like you said, you can go in and do maybe one and then you go to the next section and do one or two. So I don't know. I really felt like I was taking a class from you when I was reading the book. It was Thank you. as good as you can get to being in person with somebody is what I think this book does. And that's really hard to do through the page. I really appreciate that. I just want to say one thing that I say often, which is the benefits of narrative healing come from approaching the practice consistently over time. And when you do that, there's piles and piles and piles of scientific proof that the impact on your physical and mental well-being and creative output is astronomical. The reason to have many is to hopefully one of them will work for someone. Yeah. And there's tons of them. So for sure one will work for you. <laughs> So let's go through these different parts. There's awaken, listen, express, inspire, connect, and grow. Can you talk through each of these? Because I love how much you set the foundation. You really teach us how to go inward to go outward. Yeah, thank you so much. So the book begins with the body. And like we discussed a little earlier, that's a big ask. And I can tell you, I've taught this program in corporate settings. And I taught at Fox News for a while. And I've taught at yoga retreats. 
And everybody just does the same thing. Waking up the body even a little bit is a profound experience in this culture where we have, you know, such a separation between mind and body. And most of us are walking around with hidden stories in our body that we are unaware of that we are telling all the time. And what I mean by that is like by the way you walk into a room or the quality of your voice or the way your email is. So the purpose of doing this is your writing will get better, but you'll also have more control and power with the way you communicate both your embodied and and verbal stories. So awaken our physical practices to encourage a relationship with the body. And the movements are hopefully designed to offer many different variations. So you can do them if you're like lying in bed or if you're running outside. A little bit goes a long way. And the invitation there is to be open and curious and also gentle. Because like I said, if you're waking up a part of the body that has been like asleep or frozen or whatever it's doing, hiding for a while, you don't really know what it has to say. It could be an old trauma. It could be grief. It could be joy, but it could be like an emotion that's unexpected. So the instructions are to move at your own pace. Listen, which I think is, I don't know, I'm in love with all of them, but listen is a really critical one because once you've woken up all of these stories, the intention is then to actually listen to what they have to say. So much of the time in our culture, we're really about like, go big or go home or like get the inspiration and then write it down. And I want to insert a really pregnant pause right there to be curious, like, okay, I heard the loud story of like, my neck really hurts, or I think I'm holding some grief. But if I hang out a little bit longer, are there maybe parts of the body that are being either really quiet or whispering, or maybe just not saying anything? And can you hang out with them a little bit? So we don't even write in narrative healing till the third step. The third part is called express. And express is really when we write. And this is approaching writing as a practice. If you write something that you love and you want to share with others, or you want to pitch it, like that's great. But the purpose of this is pen to paper and kind of like do your time in the same way that if you go to a yoga class, you get on the mat or you meditate, or if you're a runner or a swimmer, you practice the piano, the results that you want happen from a consistent practice over time. So these practices offer a variety of ways to stimulate a creative response of any kind. And the idea is to write for about 10 minutes per prompt. The next step is called inspire. It's sort of the most mysterious and most personal part of the program. And this is really about what is inspiration? What is your inspiration? How do you personally find a way to reliably connect with a source? And in this step and in all of the other stages as well, I bring in a lot of other voices and experiences to offer like a range of ways of looking at inspiration and connecting with creativity And my belief is that there's as many ways to find this path as there are like humans on the planet or have ever been on the planet. There's no one way to find inspiration or connect with that source. It's roomy and, you know, inclusive. I encourage a lot of play and curiosity in that one. And the next step is called connect. And this is another one that is a step before sharing, which is finding one trustworthy person to share your story with, which is a really critical stage in transformation. And what I write about in the book is that, you know, this was really my experience. I was so self-reliant and I was so like wanted to think of myself as like a boss lady and like feminist with all the capital everything's and I'm still the course of feminist, but I thought I needed to do everything on my own. 
And I thought asking for help or connecting with someone else was a sign of weakness in some way. But we actually cannot transform by ourselves. We need to relay our stories onto like the body. You can maybe do this on Zoom too, but an actual living human who has a regulated nervous system to transform your story. And we see this in the writing process as like the role of the editor or the agent. And we see this in spiritual communities in the realm of like our teacher and student in all kinds of ways or therapists. And then the final or the sixth stage is called grow, which is really about growing beyond the confines of your lived experience and being truly in the stories that are around you in real time. And what I mean by that in the practice is a lot of like looking at when you were writing personal writing of any kind, we can get stuck in a loop of that one memory or that one thing that we're writing about is one way of looking at this. And then somebody walks into the room, (laughs) like, what are they doing? What do they need? And the goal of narrative healing is not so much to like write the manifesto or to get published. The goal is to be able to access your authentic voice when you need it in real time with others. Because when you're able to release your story, you can become a healing vessel for everyone around you without even talking or doing anything. So GROW is really about community care and using your story for community action, social justice action, and being a positive member of your community, whatever it is. Mm, So beautiful. One thing that did come up as you were talking and you mentioned capitalism and the number it does on us and our creativity and our ability to really think about ourselves as just people, not just like production machines, (laughs) humans. I really related to the thing you said, too, about the yoga teacher training being the first time you ever did something and like didn't try to turn it into some sort of job. Like every time I do anything, I'm like, I should do this professionally. I'm like, no, maybe you could just enjoy it, Lauren. Chill yourself out. But I did turn it into a job. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you did. But not at first. At first, you're just experiencing it. But like for those of us that are deeply entrenched in hustle culture, that are high achievement oriented, this stuff can feel really scary because it feels like so much slowing down that it can almost feel like giving up, which is not the case. You're actually rebuilding in a way that is healthy. But for people that think that way, which I can fall into that kind of thinking sometimes, how can we slow down enough to start? Any amount of slowing down is starting. I think one deliberate breath is actually really impactful. Making a phone call and saying, how are you? And listening to the answer instead of saying what you want to say first. I think there's small, tangible gestures we can do to make ourselves better listeners to ourselves and others. And I've done a lot of work with, I guess, people in hustle culture, but I've done work in conferences and corporate settings and with teachers and caregivers and doctors and people that certainly don't have a lot of time or are not going to be like in a restorative yoga pose half the day or anything like that. And a lot of what can motivate this work is the results. It's so incredibly accessible and there's so many ways to do it. And the impact is so great in terms of your ability to Whatever it is, if you're a speaker, your ability to really access your story and have an impactful talk. If you're a doctor, your ability to offer yourself self-care and processing and increases your effectiveness with diagnoses. So I think that when I work with people in that way, it's more about looking at this as another form of the many options you have for self-care to support you in your life. This is another one you can pick up 
And this one has amazing health benefits and will really impact your communication effectiveness. Could you go through what some of the health benefits are of unleashing your creativity in this way? I was interviewing Deanne Ford, who I really want to do a shout out for, who's an incredible writer. And she was reflecting on how writing and journaling can be a really healing practice, but writing a book is not. (laughs) And I thought that was like, yeah, that's really true. But it's not that writing of any kind. So writing when it's done in this way, and in, in this way, what I mean is you've made some effort to relax the body and connect with your breath and regulate or ground yourself in some way. And you write consistently over time. That's like the basic framework. Most of the studies done are looking at writing like two to four times a week, just in a short period. And this program is really looking at creating a sustained practice over time. And the benefits are very similar to the benefits you see from an ongoing meditation or yoga practice in terms of lowered blood pressure, lower rates of heart disease, lower rates of anxiety, depression, addiction, alcoholism. It also has been related to overall sense of joy Mm. and well-being, connection to others. It can lower rates of stomach pain, headaches. Because it overall has a relaxation effect on the body. So all of the effects that you see in mindful movement also happens in this kind of writing practice because writing in a way also is mindful movement. And how can narrative healing help heal or work through trauma? It's in the same way. Writing in this way has been proven to have drastic impact on trauma recovery. And there's no one way to do it. And I definitely want to include the caveat that I'm not a therapist. I'm not trained in that way at all. And anybody that's working with acute trauma that's listening, I hope this book helps you. And I really recommend working with a trained professional as a companion to it. It's not something to do on your own. I'd say there's two top ways that I'll mention right now. One way is what I said before, that is an overall relaxation effect. And so if you're working through trauma or PTSD, it can help you feel safe in your body or give you tools to find safety with whatever's happening, either present or past. The other key element has to do with relationship with narrative therapy, which is a type of therapy that trained professionals offer. And what happens in that work that a lot of these exercises promote is gives you the opportunity to integrate older stories with the present experience. So for example, let's say there was an accident that happened. You may have looping memories of that that are very destructive throughout the day all the time. And that's one of the ways that trauma can be very distracting and debilitating in our lives. And this kind of writing practice that teaches you how give you have opportunity to write about it and share it, you start to feel safe with the story and you can share the story and you start to integrate it with all the other stories around you and it loses the power to disrupt you in that way. Mm. And I guess a third thing that I'll add to that is if you do share it with someone like either a trained professional or a reader or editor or someone you trust is you have the experience of feeling safe and seen, and that builds resilience and trust and a sense of connection. And speaking of that, there was a part near the end of the book where you were about to work with someone. Was it Jillian, the person you've been referencing? Yes. 
So you were about to work with Jillian, this person that you've been referencing throughout the interview, and she was interviewing you to see if you two were a fit to work together. And instead of her asking, like, tell me about your experience or tell me about how you work, she said, tell me your story. I only work with people when I know their story. And all of a sudden, you were struck with panic because you're like, oh my gosh, wait, what? Like you were totally ready to go into your spiel about what you've done professionally. But to tell your full story, that was like a vulnerable thing. Could you just take us through that moment? Because you painted this gorgeous picture of you and your younger self. And I think it's so powerful. Well, hello there. I'm Lauren. Hey, hey, I'm Lauren's co-host, Michelle. And together we're the hosts of Cozy Conversations with the Sister Project, our lifestyle and pop culture podcast. We're sisters from the Midwest who have an affinity for the cozy life and newsworthy items we really think you should know about, all ranging in topics from wellness to pop culture. And just as sisters do, we share everything from our Trader Joe's must-haves to all of our favorite skincare. And beyond that, everything we are reading, watching, and listening to which happens to be my favorite segment of the show. You know, tuning into our podcast is kind of like hanging out with two sisters you never knew you needed or wanted. And can I just say we are two seriously fun (laughs) sisters. This is true. Cozy Conversations with the Sister Project is streamable anywhere you stream podcasts with a new episode dropping every Thursday. Gosh, we sure hope you tune in. We promise you will not regret it. No, you won't. Stay cozy, you guys. Lauren, I'm so touched by how closely you read this book. I'm really moved. I can't, you know, you do such an amazing job. You have so many guests and you bring so much care to everyone. It means a lot to me. This is, I think, a moment that really highlights what you were asking earlier about like the hiding as a publicist or as a professional or or as a friend or girlfriend or sister or whatever, like instead of being like, this is me, how are you doing? Tell me more about you. How can I help you? That whole thing. It's a shield. So I was right at that point. I had just done my yoga teacher training. I had recovered from, my body was healthy, but I had not integrated my story. I was walking through the world with a lot of hidden trauma, a lot of medical trauma, other kinds of trauma that I didn't even really know about. So I think at that time it was showing its face in a certain, in different ways in my body and in my emotional reality. And I really admired Jillian, who I still really admire. She married me, actually. I'm very close to Jillian. I love Jillian. Yeah. She does this amazing work on restorative yoga that's all about teaching really tangible ways to approach your body and others with profound loving kindness and how to feel safe in your body. And she teaches this practice that restorative yoga, for anyone that's unfamiliar, you're often lying on like pillows and other kinds of props for like 20 minutes and being guided breath and meditation, which was a complete nightmare for me for a long time because my mind was just racing and I was so uncomfortable. But for whatever reason, I was willing, even though this is miserable, I feel better afterwards. So I'm going to try it. She had a book coming out. And I was jumped at the opportunity to try to help her because I had all the experience. I was a publicist. I'd worked with a lot of fancy authors. And we met at a coffee shop in downtown Manhattan that's no longer open post-COVID. But it was a wonderful, big, airy place. And I remember like really getting ready and I had like my hair pulled back and I had like a black leather jacket on and like my black moleskin. Everything was just sort of like, this is what it looks like to be a literary person in New York. 
And I arrived and she, like, in a very cinematic moment, was in the very back with, like, sun beams pooling around her. And I was sort of, like, constricted. And she was wearing, like, this loose off-the-shoulder shirt. It was as if she had, like, all the time in the world. And I sat down to meet with her, ready to give her my spiel about all the ways I could help her. And like you said, she said, I need to know your story. And it was as if I was testifying. I had no reflex or shield around that kind of vulnerability and honesty with someone I really trusted. And I think she actually meant, like, how do I come about working with writers? But instead, I, like, gave her this, like, as if I was testifying, I shared with her, like, all my vulnerability, all my hurts, all my, like, really deep, complex relationship struggles with family and boyfriends and a mental health crisis I had had in college. And I just went on and on and had this experience that like you're doing right now, sort of sat there and nodded and had this just open face. So her body was telling me, I'm listening to you and I care about you and there's nothing wrong with what you're saying. I'm not worried. And in the past, I had been used to more of like an urgent, like, oh my God, or like, we better call the cops or like New York Times, like something like take a pill. There's something really, really wrong. And she was like, oh, that's so hard what you said. I kept talking. And at the end of the meal, she basically said, thank you. Basically, the entire exchange and what you're referring to at the very end, I make a comment of having this kind of out of body experience and seeing my younger self because I had been telling her story. I had been telling this like untold story of my 21 year old self who had gone through all this stuff. And she chose Jillian as the person to share this with. And there was this sense of like lightness. And I realized that she was okay. Like she didn't need me to like hide her or keep her safe anymore. And it was a really profound experience because I'd never shared a traumatic experience openly and honestly with like a loving friend in that way. It had always been more of a professional environment or something like that. Thank you, first of all, for sharing that. I loved that story. And I loved the image of you walking out with your 23-year-old self. It was just so beautiful. But why is it, for those of us who have a story like that inside of us, why is it important to bring out those stories that we've kept in the shadows or we've kept in shame? What happens when we release those into the world or at least to a friend or at least to the page? What can happen for us? I mean, any of those options are good options. I think the first thing is what's most important is choosing the right person. There was an amazing writing study done by James Pennebaker where they had people writing their trauma stories for like periods of time. And in one study group, they shared their work with someone. And in the other group, they didn't. And he monitored the success rate or the healing rates. I mean, guess which group healed faster? The sharers. It depended who they shared it with. And I think it's so important to say that in this conversation because it's not necessarily healing to share it with everyone. We see that on social media all the time. But I think there's three basic answers to that. One answer is that it's the act of sharing in a safe way is healing. It releases the potency. Secrets keep us sick. They store in our bodies and create tension, disease, and alienation and all kinds of things. They make us separate from ourselves and others. So there's a release that happens. The second is that we can start to have an experience of safety if we share it with someone. So I had this experience with Jillian when I shared this thing that I thought was like the ugliest, worst, scariest 
serious thing about me. And she was just kind of like, I still love you. Like, you're cool. And I was just like, oh, I guess I can be me. I can be me everywhere I go. I don't have to spend all this energy, you know, so you free yourself up to access your full self. And the third part, which is maybe the most important, is that you can save someone else. Because when you share the worst, scariest, most humiliating, you know, thing that happened to you, we all have tons of those, somebody who's not yet ready to share will hear it and say, like, I'm okay. You can share the person that's a little bit, a couple of minutes behind you, a way of living with more happiness and joy and health and freedom. Mm, beautiful. There's another scene from the book that I want to call out. It's when you were at circus camp, <laughs> <laughs> which, by the way, is amazing. My boyfriend went to clown school, so I'm like obsessed with this. What did he do? He's a clown, obviously. Yeah, he studied physical theater in Europe. And so he did like clowning and like all kinds of like, I mean, he did embodiment work, but like through theater, which is very cool. But I have a special appreciation for all circus and clown people because of that. But I love this scene when you were on the tightrope. And you said this thing that I thought was really interesting. You said a gentle voice says walk. What? is that gentle voice and how can we all begin to hear it within ourselves? Time for a Diet Coke break. Yes, yes, yes. I really needed that. Love what you love. Diet Coke. Get runway ready. A chance to win the ultimate shopping experience plus hundreds of prizes curated by Kate Moss. Promo packs in store, 18 plus, T's and C's. Visit coke.co.uk slash break. Oh, that's such a beautiful question. So this story is about going to, no, I didn't know what was circus camp, but going to circus camp as like a, as a sort of nine-year-old kid and against every better judgment or advice, ending up walking the tightrope all summer and learning to kind of trust myself along the way. And so this book is really about a memory of finding an inner guide and finding a sense of inspiration. And I think we all need to find something that we can rely on that's not human because like our Jillians in the world or whoever it is aren't necessarily going to be right there all the time. And we need to find a way to connect that makes us feel like we belong that's separate from that. And in terms of how, I think it's deeply personal and I certainly have no way of telling everyone else how to connect. It turned out that the tightrope was very effective for me that summer. And I think what it had in common with writing and yoga, which is my more everyday practice, I haven't been on a tightrope in a long time, is a sense of quiet and consistent practice and deeply listening to my body. Because that was a moment where I had no choice other than to totally listen to my body or I was going to fall off. There was nobody telling me what to do. I had no instruction. I, I couldn't like pause and get out of it. I had to deeply pay attention to what my feet were doing and what I felt in my body. And that feeling of walk, I think it's something mysterious. I think sometimes when we get messages from the universe, there's not always like a how-to guidebook. It's more... In my view or my experience, I think those messages are always there. And when we are able to get quiet and carve out that space of open curiosity, we're just more likely to hear it. 
So I think that I just was sort of available at that moment to that message. And at other moments, I might have had my earplugs in and been like just in my Walkman and not paying attention to anything. But that's how I look at it. I think sort of the radio of the message we get, it's more about us like dialing the radio past the static and hearing it clearly. And it happened at that moment. There's another scene in the book where you're in a writer's workshop with Danny Shapiro and she asks everybody who here is a writer and there's like a hundred women in the room. There were a couple men, but yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I assumed everyone was women. That was my bad. That was my bias. She gets men. She does get men in the room, but yeah. There were a hundred people in the room and nobody raised their hand. And then you said you like half raised your hand, but you were scared to it raise it all the like way. like this, like maybe I was scratching my face, but maybe, you know. So... If there's a lot of people listening right now who are in that either they're not raising their hand or they're like half raised, they've got like the little wing up. How can they get to all the way? How can they proudly proclaim, yes, this is what I am? It was a meditation and writing workshop that Danny was running at the very beginning. She had this intro and she said, raise your hand if you're a writer. And like you said, no one raised their hand. I still feel the discomfort. I almost feel like I'm like sweating a little bit, just remembering how, because she waited a long time. Like, minutes and we were all like fuck and I remember going through my head like am I am I not like I've definitely written my whole life but like I'm not really a writer I haven't written a book I haven't been published anywhere prestigious like just all the stacking that we do and I do this you know in my retreats and people I'm working with people I think there are many writers I work with published authors who do not think they're writers we have this idea of a writer like unless you are like Cormac McCarthy or John Updike or Virginia Woolf or something or like Toni Morrison you're not a real writer and it's just very interesting like what does that mean like we're all writing all the time but what she said which was very loving is she just gently reminded us like y'all put aside like all this time and energy resources like to be here to like really 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 commit to your voice and your path like you're writers still people didn't really raise their hand but I really remembered that the idea of finding worth as a writer begins with finding worth in your voice so again if that's where your struggle is I would go back to the body like the letter I wrote to my thyroid, do you think that you have worth? Does your body have worth? Playing with that idea a bit more. So I often give that prompt when I'm working especially individually with people is have people make a job description mm. for themselves. I think this is like an acting as if and acting your way into the role rather than assigning yourself the role. And you start to feel it. I wanted to ask you, would you be willing to share one of your favorite prompts or exercises from the book with our listeners? Sure. When I got my ARC, I was so excited that um, I opened the package extremely quickly and I cut myself and I bled on a page that's called slow down. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to share that. This feels like a good one for your beautiful community because it breaks it down pretty practically. So do you want me just to read it? Yeah, that'd be amazing. This is called, What Do You Need to Tell Your Story? Treat your story like a startup. So many creative souls relegate their work to the seams and cracks of their lives. The wee hours of the morning, the corner of a messy table. We imagine ourselves to be like cacti, only needing sporadic droplets of nourishment to survive. We all know these are not the best conditions for the kind of healing writing we are talking about. 
What kind of supports do you need to make this creative expression possible? What if you began this process with these conditions in place so you can thrive? Write it. Make your list of what you need. Try to be specific. Time, space, money, food, coaching, emotional support, therapy, research, supplies, a babysitter. Keep going. I love it. Oh, that made me feel so calm. It's so nice to listen to your voice. You just recorded an audiobook, right? I did. I just recorded it. And actually, yesterday I went in and did the pickups, which is a hilarious experience. <laughs> and so it's done. Oh my gosh. Everybody go get her audiobook if you want more of that, which I do. <laughs> I could talk to you forever, Lisa. There's so much to go into with this work, but thank you for giving us this incredible foundation so that we can start learning about narrative healing, about the mind-body connection, and just you and what you do. And I know you've got some other amazing things coming up. You're going to be teaching some courses, doing a retreat. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, thank you so much. I feel the same way. I can't wait to continue this conversation in many forms. I just love the work you're doing and I've really appreciated your thoughtful questions. So I have the book is coming out and on sale with the audiobook and ebook July 18th. And I have an amazing retreat at Omega Institute in person, October 13th to the 15th. It's called Listen to Your Ancestors. And I've got amazing teachers coming with me, including Kate Johnson, Louis Melvadrona, Kim Tai. And we are going to talk about different tools to really access how to listen to your ancestors, how to drive a creative spark from chosen and real ancestors. And I'm doing a hybrid online course with Omega that's going on sale in September that I'm super excited about that's going to be basically a companion experience to the book. Wow, that sounds amazing. And then you have narrative healing as well, not just the book. There's also, it's a community, right? Yeah, so I have a wonderful online community. It's my favorite part of life is getting to hang out with everyone there. And I offer live classes every Friday and offer an embodied writing class because my purpose is to help people try out this practice. And if the idea is to write regularly in this way, I wanted to provide a space to try it out. So every Friday at noon Eastern time, I offer a 45-minute writing session that has a mindfulness practice followed by creative prompts that you can do live with others. And also in the community, there's lots of ways to have resources, connect with others, access to ongoing courses and things like that. Amazing. Well, thank you for the work you do and for helping people unleash and most importantly, become themselves because who you are is the best thing about you. And I appreciate that you're doing work that reminds people of that. And thank you for who you are in the world. Thank you so much. I feel the same about you. And I hope I get to hear about your story behind the mic someday soon as well. Yes, would love to share it. You really made me think because I'm like, wow, I know my spiel. But what would I say if somebody asked me, who are you? <laughs> so I'll be thinking about that. Maybe I'll do a podcast where I try to tell who I am. Yeah. You know, and that's also, by the way, not a question I would ask someone really off the bat in that way. But one of the things when you're an empath of any kind or a creative is really noticing like what's going on with you as you're hearing stories. I'm very curious about yours. <laughs> I'd love to share sometime. We'll definitely do that. But I appreciate you. Thank you so much and sending you all the love. 
Thank you so much. It was wonderful to be here with you. Thank you for listening and thanks to my guest, Lisa Weinert. For more info on Lisa, follow her at Lisa Weinert and visit her website, lisaweinert.com to find a copy of her new book, Narrative Healing, learn more about her writing program, and for more info on her upcoming events. You can also get her book, Narrative Healing, wherever good books are found. Thanks to Rachel Fulton for helping edit this episode. Follow her at Rachel M. Fulton. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. When you post about it, tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also tag the guests at Lisa Weinert so they can share as well. My wish for you this week is that you find new ways to listen to and connect with your body's signals. There are so many ways to start doing that. You could try implementing writing prompts into your day-to-day routine. You can do it by just breathing and sitting with whatever comes up. You can do it by literally asking different parts of your body what they want you to know. I know this stuff sounds out there, but I promise you it works. Try it and let me know what you find out. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week. 